More than 61 million abortions have been performed in the U.S. since Roe v. Wade. Pro-choice activists would like you to believe that the masses killed by this procedure were somehow not persons. Yet Melissa Odin is living proof that they are. Welcome to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Royce, and today we have an incredible podcast planned. Joining me is Melissa Odin, a survivor of a saline abortion in 1977. Melissa has an amazing story, not just of her own survival, but Melissa runs an organization called the Abortion Survivors Network and knows hundreds of other people who have survived abortion. She'll be sharing her story as well as their stories, and she'll be talking about a new organization called Faces of Choice, which has produced a powerful ad that the group is trying to get aired on TV networks. But big shock, the TV stations are censoring the ad and they're having trouble getting that on. Apparently, the major networks don't want the American public to know that there are abortion survivors. But I'm sure Melissa and her team are not giving up. So we'll be talking about that. But before Melissa joins me, I want to just take a moment to thank the sponsors of this podcast, Judson University, a university shaping lives that shape the world, and Marquardt of Barrington. If you live in the Chicago area and are looking for a new or used car, I highly recommend going to my friends at Marquardt of Barrington, Buick GMC. As some of you may know, Marquardt of Barrington is owned by Dan Marquardt, someone I got to know while I was reporting on Harvest Bible Chapel. Dan Marquardt is one of a few courageous former elders at Harvest who took a stand for righteousness, and it's in part because of his courage that wrongdoing at Harvest was brought to light. So you can imagine if that's the kind of person Dan is, what kind of car dealership he and his brother Kurt Marquardt run, you can expect honesty, integrity, and transparency. I bought my last car from Marquardt, and it was a great experience from start to finish. So check out Marquardt of Barrington at Marquardt Buick, spelled M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T dot com. Well, I am so excited to have uh, Melissa Odin on the Roy's Report today. Melissa has been a guest on my former radio show that was on Moody Radio Network, but that was years ago, and I'm just really excited to catch up and hear all that she's doing. So, Melissa, welcome. It's such a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, and I just... I know that you just spoke at the March for Life in D.C. just a few weeks ago. I know in Chicago, the March for Life this year was the biggest they've ever had. They broke records. It's amazing. It just keeps growing and growing. Tell me, what was that March for Life like in D.C.? Absolutely incredible. I was blessed to take the stage for the first time. Julie, we've never had abortion survivors on the stage at the March for Life before. Hmm. I, most people don't know that. And so I've been working towards that goal for about 12 years, believing that it was important for our voices to be heard, believing that we could provide some encouragement to the pro-life movement, right, to say, yeah. here we are, this is who you're marching for today, this is who you're saving every day. And so it was myself and a twin abortion survivor, Claire Colwell, who took the stage, and it was just one for the memory books all across mm. the board, to have mm. the president there for the first time delivering remarks, to have survivors on the stage. You know, I would guess there were probably half a million people. Wow. Just incredible. Wow. That's like one of the biggest events as far as, you know, political rallies, uh, issue-oriented rallies it, that our nation has. And yet it's, it is surprising how networks don't often cover it. But what an amazing thing that you were able to be there. Well, why has it taken so long to get abortion survivors on that stage? That's such an uh, interesting question, isn't it? People yeah. have been asking me that one a lot. And I don't have 
an exact answer, but what I would tell you is that, you know, there have been so many abortion survivor stories throughout history. I was just contacted by someone yesterday about an 85-year-old woman. I mean, think about this. That, that mm. was an illegal abortion, probably yeah. at-home attempt. So survivors have existed forever. You know, Gianna Jessen provided me great strength mm. and encouragement to know that she existed. But I think the pro-life movement really didn't know how many stories existed, right? You mm-hmm. would hear maybe from Gianna, you would hear from me, you might hear from Claire, and people kind of thought, that's it. And I've known about this for years. That's why I founded the Abortion Survivors Network. And, you know, of course, what I have found is if you build it, they will come. Yeah, that's survivors so true. are coming forward. Mm-hmm. I In the last week, Julie, I have heard from three adults. And I found out about a baby surviving an abortion last week, a baby, and then heard from an adoptive family whose little guy is under 10. Hmm. And it is a reality. I think you're right. Most Americans aren't aware that there are abortion survivors. They, They don't hear these stories. And, you know, I thank God for things like the Born Alive Act that finally stopped the practice of actually killing babies that survive abortions. And and so it, it is a phenomenon. There are abortion survivors, and yet your voice has been muffled in so many ways from people hearing your stories. You, you say Gianna Jessen. For people who don't know Gianna's story, um, here's someone that similarly survived a saline abortion. I put a video up of her testimony before Congress, which was so powerful. You had a powerful testimony, too. That's up at my, my website. Those two... Those two blog posts that I've done, just, I mean, it went viral initially, like millions of people viewed that. Just this weekend, I noticed it's gotten new life, and people are going and hearing Gianna's story, hearing your story. I had thousands of people just over the weekend. This is something I posted years ago, and it just keeps getting those hits because this is such an amazing reality, and it speaks so strongly to what you are trying to tell people, and that is, that the unborn baby in the womb is not just a fetus, it is a human person, and you're living proof. For those who haven't heard your story, I've heard your story, but it's worth telling again, and I know a lot of people listening don't know your story. You are a survivor of abortion, but didn't know it until you were, what, 14 years old? That's right, yeah. So grew up knowing I was adopted, What I didn't know, of course, is that I'd survived an abortion before I was placed for adoption. So like many parents in that position, my mom and dad kept it a secret, not wanting for it to affect my life and accidentally found out through my older sister's unplanned pregnancy at that time. And it was absolutely devastating, Julie. I would not wish this upon anybody. You know, I love that God has really brought me so much healing and allowed me to find this strength that I didn't even know I had. But you know, I had to walk through a lot of suffering to get to this point. Back then, we didn't know that the abortion was forced upon my birth mother. We didn't know my grandmother was responsible for it. We didn't know she told the nurses to leave me to die. But what I did know is that my birth parents' lives had to have been changed by that. I knew my life was forever changed. And so went looking for them when I was about 19 years old and found them back in 2007 when I also found my medical records. Hmm. I put my medical records out there. I am not afraid 
of who God made me to be anymore. Um, and in those medical records, they say, they say things like, you know, a saline infusion for an abortion was done but was unsuccessful. Mm, a successful. What, what, a, what a horrible word for killing a baby. Right. Ugh. I think that's so powerful. It lists out a complication of pregnancy for my birth mother as a saline infusion. Mm. Isn't that such an interesting statement? Yeah, you could yeah. say it complicated things. <laughs> how did you survive, for, for those who haven't heard this, I mean, how did you survive a saline abortion? This is where they inject the mother's womb with a saline that normally burns not just the outside of the baby, but they ingest it. It burns their lungs. It's, it's a terribly horrific, painful procedure for a baby. And yet somehow you survived that. How? It's... It's a miracle. I mean, that's the short version of that story. It really is. And the doctors have made that clear. There is no quote-unquote medical reason why I'm alive, except it makes sense that the abortionist wrote on my medical records, he estimated my birth mother to be about 18 to 20 weeks pregnant with me. I weighed almost three pounds. Mm. And so a neonatologist remarked in my records, he estimated her to be about 31 weeks pregnant. Mm. So in all likelihood, they probably didn't provide enough saline to kill me. Uh, they made enough to make me very, <laughs> very uncomfortable, right? Yeah. Writhing in pain for five mm. days, but mm. not enough to kill me. Mm. And yet you have no lasting effects from that saline infusion, correct? Not physically. Not physically. I have this quirky little thing about me where I develop shingles on a regular basis. I'm up to over 10 times. That's my one little thing. And what the doctors actually can say about that is my body was under so much stress in that abortion procedure Mm. that my body carries that stress throughout its lifetime. Mm. Hmm. And you have contacted your birth mom. You're, You're adopted, right? And but you've contacted your birth mom, you've walked through, I, I just, I can't even imagine this, forgiving her, forgiving those who, who wanted to, you know, obviously do you harm and, and cooperated with, with her with that, those who pressured her. And I know your faith is a huge part of that. Talk to me about your relationship with Jesus and, and how that relationship has carried you through this. You know, I just prayed for my grandmother's soul last night, even though she passed away almost 10 years ago. I prayed for my abortionist last night. I don't know that people realize that's why I do what I do. Uh, and it makes me emotional because I want other people to experience this in their life also. Mm-hmm. I have forgiven them day in and day out. And for me, it is a continual process. You know, I didn't get to wake up one morning and go, yeah, I'm great, right? This is good. (laughs) I mean, I wish that happened. (laughs) But it's this deliberate choice we have to make to say, okay, this really hurts, but I'm going to forgive you once again because I see you as a fellow broken human being. And for me, my faith is the basis of that. I know Jesus died for each and every one of them as much as he did for me. Mm. So how could I not? forgive them. But we live in a society where that's super hard to come by, isn't it? It is. And I think what you're saying is so true that just because you've, you've willed in your heart to forgive someone, the next day you wake up and that thing can be back. And, and it's a continual process. Some people said the healing's like an onion. It's like you get to one layer of it 
And then you find out there's another layer and you have to keep working through that. And it's tough work, isn't it? It is. It is not for the faint of heart. And, you know, for survivors in particular, we have this really significant lens that we look through life. You know, we live in a society that says what happened to us is someone else's choice to make. It's their right, right? Hmm. Our country is saying you have a constitutional right as a woman to have an abortion, but you don't have the right to be born in the first place. <laughs> it's absurd. <laughs> it's so, right? So we are always peeling back the onion. Hmm. And so that's why many survivors haven't shared their story for a long time, because how do you continue to peel back that onion and share your story at the same time? It's a really difficult process to do. Hmm. Well, talk to me about this organization that you have where this Abortion Survivors Network, people are connecting and for the first time telling their stories. Tell me about some of these people you've connected with and how just connecting with other abortion survivors has helped them. Yeah, absolutely. We're now over 314 abortion survivors in our network, and actually Mm. that number is even higher than that. There's just a lot of survivors who will touch base and then not give a lot of details. Uh, Mm. That's pretty normal. I think that's normal for anybody, but for survivors, we have a lot of issues with trust. Mm. We have a lot of issues with sharing our story with other people. And so, you know, sometimes I can wait another five, six years before they come back and actually tell me their story. So the numbers are much higher than what anybody would expect. You know, I will actually be putting out a book in probably early 2021. We'll make a formal announcement later this year, but I'm working with a best-selling author, and I'm going to put out a book of probably 12 abortion survivor stories Mm -hmm. because it's time. It's time for them to have a voice. It's time for our nation to face what this choice looks like. But, you know, I can tell you a few of the stories just in the last week I know of a little baby who survived the induction of abortion. So they started labor with the belief that they would perform the abortion procedure. He was born at 25 weeks, Hmm. just last week, Julie. Hmm. 25 weeks. And from what I've heard, he's okay. So they were planning on doing what kind of, I'm I'm a little confused. So they just. Probably a D&E. A D&E. So they, but he just came too quickly. Is that what happened? Well, so they inserted laminaria, right, to soften the cervix, start the labor process, and then they would have dismembered that baby. Mm. Without any anesthesia. I've thought somebody should start a campaign for anesthesia for the unborn, you know, just to bring awareness to how barbaric this whole thing is. We we do more for our pets when we give them procedures than we do for the unborn. It's unbelievable. Well, unfortunately, what I found is that some people in the abortion lobby and the abortionists then go, yeah, you know what? So they need anesthesia. That's fine. We'll just keep doing it, but with anesthesia. (laughs) I just, I wonder how many Americans are aware of that and and if it wouldn't make them think twice. But okay, so they started the laminaria to soften the cervix and and had this D&E. And then what happened? Mother was writhing in pain. I mean, this is also what we don't talk about, right? Mm. How they treat so many women in the abortion procedure. And I hear this so many times. Many of our survivors in the network have faced similar birth circumstances. So they start the induction of labor. The mother is in so much pain. Mm. And she was left alone, right? Mm. Which often happens too, right? 
Yep, absolutely. And so, I mean, thank God that somebody found her. She reached out for help and was saying, right, I'm in so much pain. I don't want to keep doing this. And they found help to remove the laminaria. And of course, that runs risks of preterm labor. That's why baby was born, mm-hmm. you know, because they had inserted that laminaria. That was the intention. But he was born alive at 25 weeks and he is hanging on. Mm-hmm. Well, praise God, and we should pray for that little boy that he continues to grow and get stronger and thrive. And I want to mention, you've written, you mentioned that you're going to write a book with some of these abortion survivor stories. You've written a book telling your story, You Carried Me, is the name of the book, and I'm actually offering that book to listeners, so if you would like an opportunity to win that book uh, from today until Wednesday at noon, you can sign up for a chance to win a copy of Melissa's book, You Carried Me. To do that, just go to julieroyce, spelled R-O-Y-S, dot com slash giveaway. That's julieroyce, dot com slash giveaway. So, uh, Melissa, tell me about this Faces of Choice. There's an advertisement that you guys have put together. It's also a brand new organization. And it features people like you, and you're in it as well, who have survived abortion, and you're asking that question, do I have a right to exist? Can you look me in the eye and tell me that I don't have a right to exist? Tell me about the process of, of putting together this organization, Faces of Choice, and doing this, this advertisement that's so powerful. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a, a process over many, many years. So a woman named Lyric Gillette, who's incredible. You will love her. Mm-hmm. She had approached me years ago and said, listen, I have this vision. We know that, that our culture historically has needed to face the victims of things like slavery, right? We've, when you face the victims of the Holocaust, right, then it tends to change culture. And she said, what if we do this? And over the years, I kept saying, hey, great idea, but $5 million for the Super Bowl. How, how is this ever going to happen? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and so... You know, the, the beauty of 2019, as hard as that legislation has been, is the aggressive abortion enacted across the nation. What it did is really solidify within Lyric and I that it's just time. Mm-hmm. And we kept saying, you know what, if it's God's will, the money will come. If it's God's will, those doors are going to open. And so we started working on this in about June or July and ended up having 14 abortion survivors from around the world. And people probably saw this hit the news because it didn't make the Super Bowl. The long story short is that they gave us the runaround for the better part of, I don't know, five months. Hmm. And it was so clear, Julie, in the way they were communicating with us or not communicating with us uh, that they simply had no intention of running the ad. And so they ended up really boxing us out of communication, even though we brought in senior levels of management to try to figure out what the problem was, right? Mm. And they ended up not communicating with us until all of the ads had been sold. I mean, that is so (laughs) clear, right? We wait. They keep each week, they'd say, hey, we're going to get back to you on Friday. Friday would pass. Hey, we're going to get back to you on Monday. And then all of a sudden, all the ads have been sold out, and then they communicate. Mm. Mm-hmm. And when you say they, you're talking about the Fox television network, correct? It was. It was the Fox network. Yeah. And this is, okay, for everybody listening, you're thinking Fox is conservative, pro-conservative causes, pro-life. Um, I, I found that that might be a public face, but often behind the scenes is not necessarily the case at all. 
what's your feeling after interacting with these TV executives? It happened the way I expected it, Julie, to be perfectly honest. You know, Lyric, bless her heart, really has this background in media and everything. And she was saying, hey, we've got the senior, the, the media buyer. We know, it, you know, we know this, right? We've got this down. It's going to be good. And all along I was going, man, this is an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. Just because I know this, right? Like you said, it is not always what it seems to be. And we know that there are greater forces at play behind the scenes that prevent pro-life messaging, pro-life legislation, right? All of these things. So I, I knew that this battle was going to be a difficult one. You know, I would have appreciated them just being honest and saying no. <laughs> right? <I> mean, <laughs> but they're never going to do that. They're never going to do right. that. It's, they're gonna, right. It's, because it's because it's censorship. It them. Yeah, Exactly. I, what's the? I, I know there's been backlash. I mean, I signed a petition. I know a lot of people listening probably signed this petition. We complained. Have you heard back from them? I mean, are they getting a lot of heat? Are they reconsidering? Oh, I know they've gotten a lot of heat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a beautiful thing. Uh-huh. Um, our voices need to be heard, which is funny because they're silencing abortion survivors once again, right? When when uh-huh. death tried to silence us, but. Um, yeah, they've faced a lot of backlash from that. But their one statement, I think, that I heard them say to one media outlet was, you know, we sold out of our ads really quickly this year. Uh, no, we we didn't get that announcement until December. Hmm. Hmm. And did you have the money? Did you have five million? We had the people ready to give it. Absolutely. So you had it there in hand if you had gotten that. So what's the next step for that for that ad? Which, by the way, I... I posted that up on my website, julieroys.com. You can go and you can see this powerful, powerful ad. Um, I posted it up there, you know, thousands of people connected and shared it. And it's just, I mean, it's one thing to talk about the concept of the baby in the womb being a person. It's another thing to have people, the actual voice, the actual uh, face of a person, saying to you, I'm, an, I'm a survivor of an abortion. If you support this, basically you're saying I'm not supposed to exist. So, you know, what? what's next? Well, we have big plans. So Lyric now has the Face the Choice organization, and they are essentially going to be the media arm of the Abortion Survivors Network. So we're kind of cousins mm-hmm. or sisters, I guess you could say, <laughs> in the midst of this fight. And so you're going to see more abortion survivor stories because, in all honesty, Julie, I am typically so busy with all of the work in that network that I couldn't do the media, that Lyric has that opportunity to do it. And so you're going to see more campaigns like this. The Born Alive legislation at the federal level is going to have a hearing uh, tomorrow. Um, And so we're hoping to really start crafting some messaging around that, because what I typically find is that when I've gone and testified before Congress, they kind of do this little pat on the head. Oh, I'm sorry that that happened to you, but we're not really talking about you. We're not like you're rare, right? If I could get paid for every time I'm told that I'm rare, (laughs) I'm not that rare. Mm -hmm. Oh, so, and that's what we found, right? It's easy to kind of go, yeah, aren't you so, aren't you so cute, right? There's one of you. Mm-hmm. And then we're going, no, 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 no. There's hundreds, if not thousands, if not tens of thousands of us. And at some point you are going to have to look us in the eye and admit 
how you really feel about our life circumstances. Hmm. And get us up to date on the Born Alive legislation that you're talking about. I know at the state level, both Illinois and New York recently passed abortion expansion laws, and it's my understanding that these laws remove some of the protections for babies that are born alive. Now there's this federal uh, Born Alive Act. Can you bring us up to speed on what's happening with that? Yeah, well, what happened last year was it did pass um, on one side, and then, of course, we needed a number of votes on the House side in order to get it forced for a vote. Unfortunately, the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, has prevented that, and the other Democrats. I bet they blocked that over 80-some times last year. I've lost count at this point, but they wouldn't allow it to go to the floor to a vote. Why? probably because they don't want to go on record for supporting infanticide, right? I mean, that's what that is. And so we are short of the votes when it comes to forcing it to come to a vote. That's what a discharge petition would do is force it to come to a vote. So we're still a few votes shy on that. So people still need to contact their legislators and encourage them to sign that petition. Um, But we see it being reintroduced at the Senate um, That'll be Tuesday, tomorrow. And, um, you know, we have to continue this conversation. We have to continue to introduce legislation. We can't just let people off the hook when they let this go. This has to be continually pushed through. Are you saying there are babies right now being born in the United States alive and are being killed? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know how much you've watched statistics, but... We have five states, only five states, that report out their abortion survivors. And people can actually look that up. I should have my notes right here in front of me, but it's Monday morning and I'm a mess. But um, uh, only eight states collect their data. Five states report them out. And I think in those five states alone, there were 25 survivors in one year. Hmm. In five states. Now, what we don't often find in those state reports is what happens to children after they're born alive. People would want to say, oh, they're immediately provided medical care. Well, I would encourage you to actually look at the Minnesota report, because in the Minnesota report, they have a little, little asterisk when they're talking about, you know, what happened? What are the outcomes for those children? And in one of them, it even says, we do, you know, essentially it says, we don't know if any medical care was provided to this child. I read the report and went, hey, has anybody asked about this? What, what was done? Where, where's the inquiry? And they went, yeah, no, we've actually not ever asked for there to be an inquiry. Oh, I will. Hmm. Wow. That's, and, and do you know which states this is in Minnesota? Is that that's Minis- one? That's Minnesota, Arizona, Michigan, um, Florida, Indiana. What am I missing? Wow. They can go to the Abortion Survivors Network on our Facebook page. Um, So it's at the Abortion Survivors, and you can actually find those reports. And you can actually find them also through places like the Charlotte Lozier Institute. You can also find them through the Family Research Council. Uh, Those statistics are right out there. We have CDC data telling us that they can definitively say that in a, a period of time, there were 143 children that survived abortions here in the United States. But then it always begs the question, what happened to them after they survived? Wow. That is so sobering. So sobering. Uh, it, it really is amazing how once, once you take that step where you separate 
a human body, which we know right now from the point of conception, the, the unborn baby, the fetus, is human. I mean, science has told us that definitively. Once you separate that body from personhood, it leads to, I mean, right, what, 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 what qualifies as personhood then? What, do they have to have consciousness? They have to have some sort of will? They have to, I mean, what are you going to add to that that says that we have to have to be human or just location? They have to be outside of the womb as, as opposed to inside of the womb. Once you do that, you have opened the door for infanticide, which you've also opened the door for euthanasia and assisted suicide at the other end of life because that's when human beings lose their mental capacities again. And what are we going to say? They're not human. They're okay to kill. It's just, it's unbelievable. It's like we're living in Nazi Germany when you, when you think of the, 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 the moral reasoning of our culture right now. It's shocking. Yeah, it really is. And I know it's difficult for people to hear. It is difficult to sometimes walk this out every single day because I'm in statistics. I'm in people's experiences, right? When I got that call about the little boy who survived last week, and I'm going to get emotional about it again, I, um, it wrecks me on a daily basis. It really, really does. But I can't stop. I won't stop. I will not turn a blind eye. And we have to open ourselves up to that in order to create change. Mm, absolutely. And I know there's so many people listening right now that are probably like, what can I do to be part of the change? What can absolutely. they do? Absolutely. They can do so much. First of all, we have to be in touch with our legislators. I know this makes some people uncomfortable, but we've got to do it. Until we have a culture that respects and protects life, we have to have legislation that shapes our culture and protects lives. So be in touch with your legislator. Let them know what you expect. Look at their voting history. And if they're voting in defense of life, be sure to send them a thank you. I mean, I think that's important, too, right? We, we target those who are working against life, but we also have to just continuously pump up the people who are doing the right thing because they're not hearing that a lot <laughs> from our culture. So be in touch with your legislator. Pray, whether you're outside of the clinic or you're doing it at home. Support your local pregnancy center. Uh, see what needs they have, whether you can be a volunteer or you can give donations. Uh, be a part of your local pro-life group, 40 Days for Life. You know, you can also be sure to share stories like the Face the Choice ad campaign. People who are great at social media, go for it if you're sharing the truth and love, right? This battle line is on so many places in our culture. Hmm. And I also think the way we think about it as Christians is really important. Often we kind of know it's wrong, but we haven't really fully thought through it. I want to let you know that the Illinois Family Institute, if you happen to be in the Illinois area, they've got an upcoming opportunity that they're sponsoring a conference called Thinking Biblically About Our Corrosive Culture. Uh, Dr. Michael Brown is going to be speaking there, a leading Christian apologist, Dr. Rob Gagnon, a professor of New Testament theology at Houston Baptist University. It's going to be a phenomenal event. And if you really want to be trained to think biblically about issues like abortion, uh, like LGBT, all of these issues that are hot button issues in our culture, I want to encourage you, uh, go to IllinoisFamily.org. Check that out. It's going to be Saturday, March 7th. Uh, a worldview conference at Village Church of Barrington. It's going to be a fantastic event. So I encourage you, these are ways that we can be equipped to engage the culture and to fight for pro-life and to do exactly what Melissa's urging us to do. Melissa, I want to talk about some of these people that I'm seeing the faces of 
on this Faces of Choice ad. Can you tell me some of their stories? Mm-hmm. Yeah, people can actually find some snippets of videos. We did short testimonies of about two, sometimes people went up to five minutes, but you can look up some of their stories, and they're powerful. Some of those, Julie, honestly, are people who just kind of came into our network and into my life back in 2019 when all of that legislation was happening. You know, the little boy, lots of people have questions about him. There's one little boy in the video. His name is Zechariah, and he is so beautiful. He is one of the first successful abortion pill reversals that we know about. Hmm. He is now seven. His mom, Rebecca, is a speaker, um, talks a lot about her story. She was very young. He was her second teenage pregnancy. And so she regretted after taking the first abortion pill and was able to find the doctors who reversed that procedure. And he Mm -hmm. is healthy. He's Mm -hmm. beautiful. Uh, I'm just so grateful, and I can't wait to see what Zechariah does with his story as he grows up. So he's the youngest one in that group, um, probably the oldest survivor in the video. Her name is Paula, and she actually is someone I got to know her story because she was a part of a photography um, campaign called After Abortion, I think is what that one is called, by Angela Fork. And Paula has a an incision mark on her cheek, a scar. And she didn't always know all of her story, but what she knows now is that she survived what we would call an instrument abortion. So it was an illegal abortion. They were using instruments to try to cut her out of the womb, cut up her body, and she survived. Hmm. Wow. And then there's a gentleman in there. The, the first face you see is from, mm-hmm. he's from Europe. Henry right? Tiglossi? Yes, yes. What's his story? Yeah, so Dr. Teglossi is part of Human Life International, so he's done pro-life work for a very long time. He is from Eastern Europe, and he survived multiple at-home abortion attempts. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I think his story in particular is really important is because historically we saw that happen in communist countries. First of all, all of those, those attempts to abort at home. And then we saw, of course, like in Russia, the average woman has nine abortions. That's oh my. historically. Now they're, wow. now they're paying women to have children because of demographic winter. Wow. But we share that story. I know, right? And his story is so important because I think we need to understand how that shift happens, how, you know, what may have been quote unquote rare certainly then becomes commonplace. And I hear that argument so many times from people who will say, well, you know, Melissa, if abortion is outlawed, then women are just going to have back alley abortion. Hmm. Well, first of all, we know that that, those numbers were inflated Hmm. for them to push Roe versus Wade. But secondly, what about Imre? And what about Pastor Jack Hibbs in California who survived a coat hanger abortion? Hmm. What about their lives? I mean, I have probably at least 100 survivors in our network who survived at-home attempts, illegal abortions, coat hanger abortions. What about them? Wow. Their lives have meaning and value, too. Right. We don't consider the baby in the womb in this culture nearly enough. And, you know, just the fact that abortion is legal 
shows that. Do you do you feel like the tide? I mean, it, it seems to me as science progresses, the tide is turning. Everybody in the pro-life movement, I mean, the goal is to outlaw this thing. May abortion become unthinkable and illegal in this country. What kind of change are you seeing? Oh, we have huge momentum right now. 2019 really was painful to live out for me, to see New York passing extreme <laughs> legislation and celebrating it, yep. to see Illinois do yes. the same thing. And I think for me, even like some of that little sneaky stuff in Illinois and other states probably hurt me even more mm-hmm. because because I knew people were fighting it, right, and trying to beat this back, and it wasn't public. And that's the blueprint of the abortion industry. They know Roe versus Wade is at great risk, and that's why we saw this happen, mm-hmm. because they want to get to each state before Roe versus Wade falls. So as hard as that is to see happening, I do take hope because they know we're winning. Hmm. And they know that Roe versus Wade is a ticking time bomb. I do truly believe that. Hmm. And so, yeah, we are on the right side of things, as we always have been, but we're on the momentum side of things. You can't stop truth. Hmm. You can try to silence it. You can try to cover it up. You can bury it all you want. But at some point, the truth comes out. And that's what we've seen happen. And I've seen more people, the ordinary, everyday people like you and me, mm. standing up and saying something and doing something about it. Mm. Yeah, there's no way if people know the truth, if, if you have any conscience, any sensitivity whatsoever. I mean, in Illinois, I couldn't believe that they re- repealed the partial birth abortion ban. I mean, that is the most grotesque procedure I can imagine of pulling a baby out. I don't even want to go into all the details, but you know what? I You can look at them on my website. I've got how the, all of those procedures are performed. It is clearly infanticide. It is barbaric. It is evil. And if people only knew and people only thought about it, I do think more Americans would say this is unthinkable. We cannot do this in a supposed civilized society. Before we wrap things up, which we're going to have to, but I would like to speak because whenever we speak on abortion, I'm fully aware that there are people listening who, like your mother, attempted an abortion. Most of them, if you attempted it, you actually had the abortion. And the amount of guilt and shame that people feel over that is just absolutely huge. I have a number of friends. Actually, all of my friends that are really, really passionate and involved in the pro-life movement, they're all post-abortive. They've mm-hmm. been through it. They know now on a personal level how devastating it is. And they've had to deal with that themselves. But thank God there is a remedy in Jesus Christ. So speak to that. Speak to that person. Amen. Yeah, I'm passionate. And I don't want ever people to mistake my passion for anger. I, I fight against darkness. I fight against the evils of abortion. But what I do is I love the people who are impacted by it. I love my birth mother. I love my grandmother. I have love for my abortionist as fellow human beings who made mistakes. And I want people to know that they are loved, that they are forgiven. You know, our network does a great job of helping to reach out to families who have been impacted by abortion, to not judge them, not condemn them, get them the help that they need, and let them know that we want them to be healed. That's what I truly believe we all need in our society 
is to be healed from the devastation of abortion. So, you know, if someone is listening and they've had an abortion or they were complicit or, you know, involved in that, I just want them to know that they are loved, that they're forgiven, and that there are great healing resources across the nation Mm -hmm. that they can take advantage of to heal. Mm. A lot of churches have ministries for people who are post-abortive. If there's not, you can look online. There's lots of ministries there. But the truth of the gospel is that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And there is forgiveness at the cross because of what Jesus Christ did. And so I just want to say to anyone listening who, again, has been a a part of this um, horrible, evil industry, um, there is forgiveness for you. And you are not outside of that. So, Melissa, thank you so, so much for taking the time today. And thank you for your witness. Thank you for your your ministry, your passion, your uh, using everything that you have to create change in this country. So I just want to thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for listening to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Roy's, and if you'd like to find me online, just go to julieroy's, spelled R-O-Y-S, dot com. Hope you have a great day, and God bless.